Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I am joined by Gareth McComsky from Serverless Inc. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So we were having some interesting chats before the show and you told me about some of your histories of building stuff with serverless. Maybe can you tell your story to the audience and about how you've been building stuff with serverless and how you got to working for Serverless Inc. nowadays? Yeah, no problem. So my history with uh, web development in general is a relatively long one now. I've been in the industry for approximately 15 years. And traditionally, I've come up in the ranks as a developer building PHP applications, essentially, using tools like Symfony, Laravel, and so on. And a few years back, back in 2016, I joined a team at a tour company. And um, as a part of my job leading the team, I was asked to look at essentially re-architecting the existing you know, aging monolithic platform that they were on that they'd had running for the last 10 years. And they needed something that had a bit more agility, ability to help the marketing team run events and so on. So as a part of that investigation, they'd had a third-party organization handling their AWS migration that they had just finished before I arrived. And while I was looking around at my usual suspects and the usual frameworks that I would have built something with, uh, I spoke to them to get their input. And one of them suggested looking at something called serverless framework. And I decided this was sounded like something interesting, and I'd give this a spin. Um, I opened up serverless.com because that seemed like the natural thing to do, and that was the top uh, search result. And I ultimately went down the rabbit hole of experimenting with building my first serverless application, which was just a simple uh, RESTful API. Thankfully, API Gateway was supported at that time. Ultimately, ended up watching some videos with Austin Collins, the CEO of Serverless, and just found the... Uh, found the technology really uh, fitting for what the company was trying to do because with a small team, I mean, the, the team of developers that I took over, there was there was one other developer un- underneath me at that point. And we, so we were a small team of two developers trying to rebuild uh, a platform for a multi-million tour company. So what we needed to do was try and build something that was performant, that was uh, quick to build, but also didn't have a lot of infrastructure overhead for us to manage because we didn't have the expertise necessarily in-house. Uh, at the time, I was able to do a bit of AWS stuff. I knew how to spin up EC2 instances. I could spin up RDS. I could install some uh, basic server architecture, but I wouldn't have been comfortable necessarily uh, running all of that stuff myself uh, and just a team of two of us. Serverless was a real win in that way that we didn't have to worry about all that uh, infrastructure setup. Uh, so we went down the road, did a POC or two. Um, a few, we basically took a few small pieces out of the existing monolith and redeveloped that as a serverless component instead. And it completely won everybody in the organization over. Uh, everybody could see that it wasn't just a, a replacement for what we had done, but was actually an, an improvement on what we had done, on what was there before. That was a really nice way to prove the technology, even for ourselves, in a way that didn't put anything at risk. So it was something innocuous that if it went down, it didn't matter. But if it worked, it would be very obvious that it, this was the way to go. And that ultimately ended up my first massive learning experience in building serverless applications. We went down the, the rabbit hole of, of essentially rebuilding the site to a large degree before I left as a Jamstack style uh, platform where the front end is incompletely described through you know just JavaScript, HTML, CSS stored in S3 bucket. And the back end was a RESTful API. Uh, and that was a lot of fun to work with and build and, and explore with. As we were doing that, I was offered a position at another organization uh, an e-commerce organization at that point who was just looking for good talent to join the team. I felt very privileged to be able to join the team there. 
and started to uh, work with serverless a lot more to enhance their platform there. There were a few very interesting projects we did. I mean, one of them, uh, the first one that came up again, I, when you when you switch organizations like this, you end up in a situation where you once you've proved something to yourself, you join a new team of folks and you kind of need to prove things again. So one of the projects that I took at that point was a, a Google shopping feed, an XML feed that you could produce for Google uh, that they wanted to do so that they could market the products a little better. And ended up producing the Google shopping feed through a serverless service so that it didn't impact the existing Magento infrastructure at all. And it was just a standalone service with an API gateway uh, backend that the Google uh, shopping feed could just pull at any time. Um, and again, it didn't affect the existing uh, Magento backend, which was a, a good win for the entire team and was a great way to proof of concept serverless once again. Um, and that ultimately led to further projects, things like doing a, a clickstream tool where we had front-end JavaScript essentially helping determine what items people were interested in based on what they clicked on through the site and then filtering that into the backend via Kinesis and Athena in AWS to help the, the BI team, uh, the, the data team, pull out information about what it is that people were interested in on a, on a personal level to help with that personalization effort of the front end. Um, I think that effort is still uh, ongoing at, at the company as well, but they have now the data in the back end that they can pull and use to pull out these preferences for users, which is pretty cool. And again, one of these things, if you build it with serverless, it's not going to impact an existing back end, which is exactly what the team wanted. They didn't want to add more load and more work on their server-based backend. Um, and, the, and the interesting thing is since I've, since I've moved on from there, I've heard that the team there is busy rebuilding their entire backend now uh, using serverless technology. So that's, that's pretty cool to know. I've left a bit of a legacy and, and love for serverless where I used to be. That's actually quite a common story I've heard uh, where teams uh, or these companies uh, start with one project to test uh, water uh, and with serverless and then realize the, how much faster things can be and how much more scalable and easier things becomes and then just become like a wildfire and you get, you get this massive adoption throughout the company where everything turns into a serverless. So they go from uh, no zero serverless to one and then very quickly go into tens and twenties projects mm -hmm. uh, all running on serverless because once you, get, once you realize the benefit that, oh, you get all this scalability, things is cheaper, more resilient, and you have to do less work. I mean, why wouldn't you do that, right? <laughs> Yep, it's exactly the case. And in fact, there was, I think there was one very specific project we worked on that really solidified that for folks, where the head of the team, he was trying to, we would, we were trying to always find a way to load test the application. Because if you're running on servers, you need to be able to test the load of your systems because come your, your annual sales time, like a Black Friday, things can fall over. We know this. And he was trying to build a load testing application to help the team test the infrastructure on a staging environment before Black Friday comes around and things fall over for real. And one of the interesting sides of this is that he went through a lot of effort trying to build a load, a load testing simulation uh, type of system using multiple EC2 instances. In fact, I think he was using at the time one of the largest EC2 instances that you could get, which was costing an enormous amount of money to run. Um, and he was still having problem coordinating uh, a large quantity of simulated users running through essentially uh, an end-to-end -end test. So you could simulate folks, uh, a user clicking through to uh, purchasing products on a staging environment. And ultimately, we, we got together and I realized that the what, what he was trying to do was, was have a lot of parallel processing happening. And Lambda was perfectly positioned for this kind of situation. So we ended up taking the existing 
uh, end-to-end test, the, the integration testing uh, platform that would click through uh, a process and then just spinning that up in multiple Lambda functions. And we got to the point where we could simulate 15,000 users uh, opening up the site and buying a product within five minutes, uh, which was something that we, he, he couldn't get close to doing using a more traditional server-based architecture. I think that the, the team working together on building this, this one specific uh, tool helped everybody realize how powerful uh, building with serverless could be. So nowadays uh, you've moved, you're working with uh, the Serverless Inc. What are you doing there as a custom success engineer? Well, I joined the team. Uh, I was, I was, I was essentially. I saw that Serverless had a position open for a customer success engineer, and I applied initially for the role. And um, uh, had a few interviews and spoke to the team, and was very excited at the prospect of joining because Serverless has been some had been something I'd, I'd really grown to love over the years. It's gotten to the point now. Um, if I get any kind of project, I just cannot actually find myself going back to building things in a more traditional way. Um, I have a few projects from that I started years back that I still maintain now over time, and I just wish I could find the time to go back and re-architect them serverlessly. Um, but that being the case, I went through all these interviews, and the team eventually said that they wanted me to join and that, that they wanted me to uh, be a part of the growth team, uh, which is where I was hoping to end up because I love the idea of, of informing and educating uh, more developers about the power of serverless technologies. And that's one of my primary roles now at Serverless Inc. I'm, I'm part of the growth team where I'm involved with uh, developer advocacy uh, and education. Um, I, uh, my role tends to focus a lot more on the support side. So we probably will go into a bit more detail later, but we do have a, a paid for product that we offer. And with that is, is a support, uh, support offering that goes with that. Uh, and I tend to focus a lot on that, helping make sure that anybody using our tools knows how to use them, gets the education they need, we answer questions, I take feedback and any, any bug reports and so on. And I help uh, pass that on to the engineering team so that we can make sure that users get what they want. But it also involves a lot on the educational and content side. So I, I find myself writing a blog post a lot of the time and currently in the middle of producing a full, uh, essentially a free a set of, uh, well, basically a free course uh, that anybody can go through to help get started and learn how to build uh, serverless applications. Okay, that sounds great. And I'll make sure that the link to the course is uh, included in the show notes for anyone who is interested in taking the course. Um, so I guess uh, you're working uh, very closely with customers uh, for Serverless Inc. Are there any sort of common trends that you see amongst your customers, maybe common set of problems that people run into? Yeah, and this, is, this, this again goes to why Serverless Inc. has decided to have some kind of uh, a product that we offer to users. Because Serverless is a great tool for getting infrastructure that you would normally have to spend a lot of time setting up, managing, and so on. But the observability on these kind of systems is a solved problem. There's the new relics and the data dogs out there that let anybody see uh, what's happening in their server-based architectures quite easily mostly because all of the work is being done on the server. So it becomes a known entity to monitor and manage. The problem with uh, cloud native and cloud first style applications like serverless applications is that your architecture is a bit, is a bit spread out across the cloud vendor, which can make monitoring and watching what's happening in your, uh, in your application a little bit more difficult to do. And that's one of the real problems that we've had. We've seen our customers ask questions about is how do I know what's going on with my application? And I remember feeling this myself. You, we, one of the first things, uh, one of the first real tests for serverless uh, development for me was when we had our first 
essential, basically annual sales uh, time coming on our new Jamstack style platform and that we were going to pushing thousands of customers at and something fell over. Uh, when, when, the, when the initial sale launched, the first half an hour, uh, nobody could purchase anything because something had gone wrong. And there was no way to easily see what was causing the backlog, what part of our infrastructure was causing a problem. Um, so observability is one of those things that uh, a lot of folks uh, find some trouble with. And now, uh, in, in, in today, more modern, a lot of tools are coming about to help solve those problems, including uh, from Serverless Inc. One of the problems related to this is the uh, effect of having deployments and not having uh, and, and, and teams uh, being concerned about having control over what developers are deploying into a company's AWS account, for example. Um, you know, you have a you have a DevOps team which has normally had a very strong hold over what is deployed and created, and we're saying to uh, to these organizations that if you want to go serverless, you need to let developers have more say and more freedom to deploy what they need into your AWS account, but you still want to have some way to help control that for security reasons and even for just financial reasons, just to make sure that you know what's going on. So again, these are these are a couple of the problems that we've we've seen uh, over time. So what about a CI/CD pipeline? Is that also part of your service as well? Yeah, so CI/CD is one of those interesting things because with, with, with the serverless framework itself, just doing a deployment from your local machine ends up being a relatively simple thing to do. You can just run serverless deploy and it'll deploy based on your, on your AWS credentials into an AWS account. Uh, and that sounds like a really, uh, a really simple way to manage deployments. But again, one of the problems, this goes to the whole, the whole side of control, is we found customers uh, want to have some way to manage that deployment process a bit better, especially when you come to a larger organization with a team of more than a couple of developers. Um, so uh, getting a, a proper CI/CD process uh, set up can be a little bit uh, daunting in, in a lot of cases. Um, so one of, the, one of the solutions that we came up with with serverless was to add a CI/CD solution into, into the, the serverless framework pro dashboard, we call it. And the CI/CD solution is, is is meant to be configured around the assumption that you're building a serverless framework application. Um, so we, we, we're building tooling on top of our open source framework to help make sure that developers uh, can get the best out of the framework it's, itself. So you have the great open source base, but you have all these additional uh, tools uh, that is very difficult to, to provide in an open source base that needs to be provided as a service in some way, like a CI/CD platform that has the containers in the back that can build the uh, deployment uh, packages and so on, that can aggregate your monitoring data and so on. And with a centralized CI/CD system, you can now integrate all of these things together and uh, using uh, just your uh, Git repository. And by the time this episode comes out, we may even have uh, support for uh, Bitbucket out uh, entirely as well. Um, so you can just use your existing uh, Git repo and using pull requests and merges into branches completely control the flow of deployment into production, into development, into whatever other environments that you need as a team. What sort of additional tools are you talking about here? Because one of the things that uh, I get asked a lot about uh, CI/CD pipelines is focused around the security aspects. Uh, how do we make sure that uh, we are assigning the right permissions to our functions, that we are not giving them too much permissions? And that's some of the things that uh, I see other sort of vendors like your Palo Alto network now that they've acquired the PureSec and uh, Protego, or I guess Checkpoint now. Um, is that something that you guys also venture into? Some of that automated security and checking permissions and things like that. 
So that's one of the one of the really cool things is because we are we we we've been developing the open source serverless framework for a number of years now, and like I said, we've heard these uh, concerns from customers. So we decided we we to help solve the, that we built a uh, a platform uh, called Serverless Framework Pro, and this includes the CI/CD solution I was talking about. But on top of that, because we initially focused on helping. Uh, teams uh, add uh, add uh, the ability to deploy to specific AWS accounts through a feature we call deployment profiles. So what happens is in the platform itself, you can actually connect your Serverless Framework Pro account to your uh, AWS account or multiple AWS accounts. And the way to do this is using a feature called deployment profile. So you can say, I want to create a new deployment profile. I'm going to call this my staging deployment profile. I'm going to connect this to my staging AWS account. Because one of the best practices we've seen over the years often is that multiple environments are broken up into, into separate AWS accounts just to protect you from accidentally deploying staging grade uh, code into production accidentally. And if you break this into separate AWS accounts, it sort of limits that uh, capability a bit. Um, and with a deployment profile, you can say, I want a staging profile that points at my staging AWS account. But on top of that, with, with these multiple environments, I want to put safeguards in place, something that will help me uh, make sure that when a developer deploys something into an environment, it's something at the quality that uh, makes sense for that environment. So let's take a step forward. If you decide you want to create a, a production profile, you create a, a, and you point that production profile at your production AWS account, one thing you obviously want to make sure you don't do when you, when you deploy something into production in the serverless world is have an IAM policy that has wildcards in it. You don't want to give uh, a Lambda function uh, full access to an entire DynamoDB table, or even worse, full access to all DynamoDB tables, which is so easy to do with just Dynamo colon star, for example. So one of the features that happens because we, we have a deployment profile that ties into the deployment process of the serverless framework, you can add a safeguard that just says block all, IAM, uh, all, all, the, all deployments that have an, a wildcard in the IAM policies. And what this means is anybody who is an administrator of this uh, of this account can can set that up so that any developer who accidentally tries to deploy that will just get blocked from doing it. And there's a lot of these. This, this, that's just one example. We have a whole suite of these uh, safeguards. We call them that you can you can activate uh, optionally on your deployment profile to help control these effects. Uh, you can do you can even go so far as to write your own safeguards if there isn't a pre-built one that meets your needs. Uh, so it's a great way for, especially the DevOps teams who want to maintain a control, some kind of control over the uh, what gets deployed into the environments to set those up. And along with this, because we, we are now sort of injecting these kinds of uh, rules into the deployment process, we can also help you manage parameters that often need to differ based on the environment you are deploying to. So. I mentioned you could have a staging environment and you can have a production environment. And in a lot of cases, you want your development team to be able to test uh, something like, for example, uh, you know, access to a Stripe API. And as a part of that, your Stripe API will have a sandbox environment that your developers can test with, and you'll have the API key for that. So you'll set that up as a parameter in your service.yaml file so that it, in the staging environment, the, the, the Stripe API key parameter has the sandbox API key as a value. But you can use the same parameter with the same name in your production deployment profile. So when you deploy into production, it'll actually have the production key. And in this way as well, you're, you're preserving the fact that you don't need to start sharing these keys around uh, between the team of developers. You can actually maintain security on these keys. 
Um, and that also means that with the uh, with the control of which AWS accounts to deploy to, you can even maintain strict control over uh, spreading access keys for your AWS accounts in, in third-party environments because of that connection between the serverless framework and your AWS accounts. Okay, that's actually pretty cool. I've tried the guardrail stuff before. It's uh, quite a nice um, addition of uh, things you can do. Um, what about in terms of the server framework uh, as a whole? I guess uh, it's being a really key part of the ecosystem for the people that are doing stuff with serverless technologies today. What is the business model for the serverless Inc.? Is that focusing on this uh, value add services? Well, one of the things we've done over the years is, it, it, like any open source organization, finding a way to monetize is always the tricky bit. Um, and there's many organizations who've tried many different ways to accomplish this. Um, some better than others, uh, and what what we what we've done is we've we listened to customers' uh, concerns and what they feel is missing uh, when they're building serverless applications, and we're trying to help solve those problems. And in a lot of cases, those problems end up requiring a managed solution. Uh, so we've 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 we often go to looking at the problems and saying, is there a way to solve this problem within the serverless framework itself in the open source framework? And this is where we start adding features in that allow you to do things like add additional features into AWS itself that allow you to maintain control of things and help solve those problems. But in a lot of cases, you need some kind of managed solution that, that can help you do things like aggregate data, uh, manage deployment uh, profile centrally, uh, manage a CICD process, all very tricky to do in a single open source framework that, that we're building. And that's really where our focus has been. So we have over the years uh, offered uh, support and training to organizations, and we still do. Uh, if organizations contact us and approach us uh, to discuss a partnership or training or uh, workshops and so on, we still do have those discussions with, uh, with organizations. Our primary focus now, though, is on helping uh, promote our, our SaaS product that, that, as I said, helps solve these additional problems that developers have. And uh, anybody using the using our platform right now might have noticed a little tab appearing at the top of the screen. And by the time the podcast is out, this is probably going to be a fully released product. But we've recently released another part of this solution called Studio, which helps developers link the uh, the service that they're building on their local machine to an, a, a deployed stack inside AWS itself and gives you immediate feedback. So you can do something like develop a REST API on your local machine uh, enter SLS dev in your CLI uh, for this for that service. It'll automatically deploy that stack into AWS for you, and then and then in the browser, uh, you can view the logs and and actually run tests against the uh, API endpoints. So similar to a Postman style uh, interface, but this is actually against the actually the, the, the live infrastructure of your serverless service sitting in AWS. So it's a great way to do that sort of integration testing that most developers need to do anyway, but in a much faster and responsive environment so that you can you can click the button to run that GET request or add the body data to run that POST request and immediately see the console log from CloudWatch appear instantly on the screen for you so that you don't have to have that constant back and forth. And the, the, the best part about this is, is that it integrates into a local development environment now because if I go and edit my handler, if I notice I've got a syntax error, for example, when I run that post request, I can make an edit in my Lambda function, save the file, and immediately uh, the uh, Studio SLS dev in the background is, is redeploying that function within seconds so that I can run my test again to see that I've fixed the problem or not. So it's a great way to do that iterative 
local style development that we all want, but we're actually testing in the cloud, which is far more accurate than something than, than we, what we can do locally. Yeah, I have seen quite a few of the different tools that's popping up on the radar from uh, Serverless Inc. I guess one of the things that left me slightly uncertain is that because all of these are different sort of verticals and you have uh, people that are more specialized and more focused on each of these tooling, especially as the server space gets bigger. If you just look at the sort of monitoring side of things alone, the whole observability side of things for serverless, there are your, you know, your, I guess your more so focused the specialized players like Thundra, Lumigo, Epsigon, but then you also have uh, the more traditional vendors now jumping to this space uh, with a new relic buying IO pipe and all that. So as a potential buyer, what would be my trigger for going with your serverless solution versus using something from a vendor that I know are more focused and more specialized in this particular space? So one of the interesting things is because we are we, we have been developing the open source serverless framework for a few years now. One of the goals that we had with building our own tooling is that we wanted to make we wanted to integrate it as seamlessly as possible with the framework that mo- a lot of people are using. Uh, vendors, uh, other vendors uh, are are focused on serverless applications in a more general sense, whereas our focus tends to be on serverless framework developers. So that's the initial goal is that we want to be appealing to those developers because our tools integrate very, very seamlessly. And to put that into perspective, if no one's used it, it really is as simple as creating an account. Uh, So if you go to something like dashboard.serverless.com, you'll be able to create yourself an account. Once once you go through the onboarding process, you'll have created, uh, you'll have have an org, which is just a, 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 usually it's your username is your first org. You can create others for your own organization that uh, that you build serverless applications for. And then you'll create another entity called an app so that you can have all your serverless services contained in an app. And if you want to connect an existing service of your own to your serverless serverless framework account, you go to your serverless.yaml file, you add org app uh, as as properties in your serverless.yaml file, you run a login command in the CLI, and the next time you deploy, it'll automatically be added. And all that instrumentation that that you would want for monitoring is automatically added for you. So there's no... There's no need to insert any libraries. There's no uh, there's no API calls that need to be made inside your Lambda function that's going to uh, manage that monitoring information for you. The serverless framework automatically integrates into your Lambda function and start help, starts helping capture the monitoring and, and observa- observability information that you would need to help manage your, uh, your serverless framework uh, services that you're deploying. And along with that comes the advantage that uh, as as the serverless framework team we've been exposed to a lot of the best practices we've seen over the years that have been coming about in serverless development and that's helped guide us in how we how we are building our monitoring solution to provide the information that you need as a serverless developer Um, whereas uh, a lot more generalized monitoring tools will throw almost all the data that they have at you because they it's not necessarily clear what is important uh, for a serverless application Whereas we understand that showing cold start information is something that we, we add relatively upfront. We allow you to dig straight into stack traces of an error in a Lambda function in CloudWatch because that's what's important when you're trying to debug uh, problems in your Lambda functions uh, and so on. So we try to, because we expose those basic practices, we know what to expose to you to help you get the information you need as quickly as possible. 
I guess a lot of the other vendors who are specializing in the server space, they also understand the problem. They also share a lot of information that uh, you guys do as well in terms of coastal information. Certainly, I know for sure that the Lumigo and, and the Thunder both do the same thing. But yeah, that is, I guess, a question for the more traditional vendors who have been focused on the containers and the virtual and EC2 space. But I guess what's interesting from what you said there was that uh, whilst most of the other vendors are focusing on the horizontal slice of anyone who's doing serverless development today and trying to solve a particular problem, you guys are focusing on the vertical slice of uh, everyone who's doing serverless development using the serverless framework and try to leverage the fact that they already use the framework so that you give them a CI/CD, give them monitoring, all these things uh, on top with minimal amount of integration effort required. That does sound like uh, interesting, I guess, um, slightly different from most of the other vendors who are focusing on everyone who's doing stuff with serverless but having problems with CRCD as opposed to just people who are using the server framework today. So that's that's one of the interesting things as well is because we've got that focus on the serverless framework itself, when we build a CRCD tool, we're not building it for the, all those possible serverless application uh, use cases out there. We understand how serverless framework deployment happens, so we can build a CRCD system that matches that, word, that use case very cleanly and very minimally. Um, we don't want to expose you with a, with a million options when it comes to configuring how you want your deployment to happen because we understand how serverless framework deployments tend to happen. So we give the 99% use case for that while still providing, trying to provide in some way uh, the way to configure for those edge cases that don't often match what's needed. But we don't have to bring those right up front. We can manage those uh, more cleanly and minimally, which is kind of a nice thing to do. Yeah, having built quite a few different open source tooling and things like that myself, uh, being able to make these kind of assumptions about what framework people use that does make your life a whole lot easier. You can just look at the service YAML and figure out everything that someone is trying to deploy as part of their stack, for instance. Um, so is there anything else that you'd like to tell the listener before we go? Uh, are there any sort of upcoming announcements or changes from the server framework? Yeah, um, well, we're always busy doing a lot of things in the background. Um, and one of the things that I'm sure folks may have noticed in 2019 was a project that we released in, in beta called Components. Um, and honestly, by the time the podcast comes out as well, there will probably be a more official announcement. But for anybody who isn't aware, uh, this is actually a very exciting project that we've been working on for quite a while and is something that we're building that's kind of an addition to the existing serverless framework that we hope people will like. Um, it's a way to build serverless applications that is quite different from what we might be used to now. And it's very difficult for me to go into detail because we're still trying to nail all the bits and pieces to absolute completion at the moment. Uh, but we're expecting that to happen in the next uh, week or two, or maybe just maybe three. Uh, it's, it's just about there. It's just very tricky to nail all the, all the bits and pieces down. Uh, but it's a very exciting, uh, very exciting step forward, we feel, for serverless application development. It's essentially our attempt to help take serverless application development to a cleaner uh, way to build that feels more local, that doesn't feel like the way we had to build serverless applications in the past. Uh, and that sort of brings things back to the way we used to develop applications uh, when we weren't as dependent on cloud infrastructure uh, for testing and, and, and so on. And it sounds really vague what I'm talking about now, but if you've looked at components, the, the beta version of components in the past, you may see what what that means. 
uh, and where that's leading to. But it's a very exciting future that's coming up, apart from all the usual uh, maintenance work and, and work that goes into maintaining the existing open source serverless framework as well, uh, con constantly adding new features uh, that come from AWS and other cloud providers. Um, components is one of the real big ones to keep an eye out. Yeah, I played around with the beta version of a component. Uh, it does look much smoother, not much nicer and easier to work with compared to the SAR that you get from, from AWS, which I've done quite a bit of work with as well. Uh, it's just not as, I guess, uh, smoothly integrated uh, uh, with into your tool chain as, as you would like. Um, so, Gareth, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. How can people find you on the internet? Uh, what about any sort of blogs, personal things, the projects they're working on? Well, for me, the easiest way to find out more about me is just follow me on Twitter. It's at GarethMCC, nice and easy. Um, and yeah, I, I don't really have a blog that I maintain at the moment. All my blogging seems to be uh, at the serverless.com uh, slash blog page uh, or site. Uh, so you can keep up to date with anything I'm blogging about. Um, but if you do, if anybody is interested to even just chat about uh, serverless development or anything like that, I'm always open to have discussions with folks, even if it's just uh, DMs on Twitter. Um, one way to also get in contact with the broader community of, of serverless developers is to take a look at the serverless framework community. Uh, I'm going to mention we have a Slack uh, workspace at serverless.com slash Slack. That's an easy way to find it. Or even our forums. We have forums at forum.serverless.com. Great. Personally, I've been using those resources uh, quite often, finding answers or engaging with other people on the Slack channel. I find that's quite useful. Um, again, thank you very much, Gareth, and uh, hopefully things are not too bad uh, where you are with the coronavirus, and stay safe. <laughs> yeah, uh, thanks very much. It's actually, things are going okay here, so yeah, we're just staying indoors and, and keeping our hands clean and staying safe. All right, man. Take care. Ciao. Bye-bye. That's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with uh, Gareth McComsky from Serverless Inc. To access the show notes and the transcript, please go to realworldserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.